Our Lord Jesus, I pray that you will come now and through your word create within us a desperate hunger for your word. That is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I told you a while ago that this worship service is dedicated to the Word of God, which should not surprise you because I hope that your conclusion is that every worship service at First Baptist Nixa is dedicated to the Word of God in the sense that one of our core values at this church is what we call Word-centered worship, meaning that everything that we do from beginning to end, is rooted and grounded in Scripture. We read the Word, we pray the Word, we preach the Word, we sing the Word, we respond to the Word in faith, we see the Word made visible in the sacraments. But this morning is dedicated to the Word of God in an even more distinctive way than usual. Since we had our Gideon representative come and to share with us about their ministry this morning, a ministry which has now for over a century been dedicated to getting this living and active word into the hands of people at their loneliest moments, in prison, in jail cells, and in hospital rooms, and in hotels, and in their most formative years on the campuses of middle schools and high schools and colleges and universities all across the world, I thought that it might be appropriate for us and that it might benefit us to take some time this morning to focus upon this word as the word. This word which forms the core of our worship here at First Baptist Nixa. This word which through the Gideons is placed in the hands of hundreds of millions of people around the world. My aim this morning is to persuade you, unashamedly, I I am here this morning to persuade you to treasure the living and active word. Not just cognitively, right? Not just up here, but experientially in your lives. I want you to know by experience, by craving, what Jesus meant when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus uttered that statement, he had not eaten for 40 days. He knew what it was to be hungry. He was alone and starving in the wilderness. And Satan the tempter, came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. And Jesus' response reveals that there is something more essential, something more fundamental to our being than physical nourishment. We do not live by bread alone. We, the saints of First Baptist Nixa, we live by every God-breathed word in this book. You may respond, you skeptics, and I like you, because I'm one of you, by nature. You may respond that lots of people live by bread alone and have no desire. They, they do not crave, they do not ingest, they do not digest, they do not eat and feed on this word. Well, I I would say true, but I think that the Son of God would question whether they really live. Because in order to really live, 
we must feed upon this word, which is the bread of life, the very nourishment for our souls. I want this church to treasure the God-breathed word. Every word of it. The way a starving man treasures bread. And in order to accomplish this aim, I'm going to invite you to turn once again with me to the book of Hebrews. Where we have spent the better part of the last two months. I want to approach this topic from the pages of Hebrews because the author of Hebrews not only provides us with one of the Bible's great statements about the nature and power of the word, but also because he provides us with a great example of how to use the word, how to treasure the word, how to receive the word, how to feed upon it for the nourishment of our souls. So we're looking not just at what he says about the word, but how he uses the word. And although we haven't reached this point yet in our exposition of Hebrews, I want us to take a look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And we're going to view it in isolation this morning. And then we'll return to it in the weeks to come to deal with it as part of the larger passage and see how it fits in and, and supports the author's larger flow of thought. In this one verse, we find the author of Hebrews' summary of his view of Scripture as well as the reason why he uses it so extensively throughout the pages of his letter. He writes this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What I want to do this morning is I want to give you a brief Meditation on the Word of God, as the Word of God, from the Word of God. From this verse in Hebrews 4.12, I want to give you three defining characteristics of this Word. Number one, it is a living Word. It is alive. It is dynamic. It is not static and dead. Now, I'm not, I'm not today going to defend the divine inspiration of Scripture, as I might if I were preaching from 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul claims that all Scripture is God-breathed. We may do that another time, but for now I'm going to assume that you agree with Paul. I'm going to assume that you agree with our church's confession of faith. I'm going to assume that you agree with the confession of the historic Christian church for 2,000 years that These scriptures are the word of God and that they are inspired and inerrant and infallible and are only sufficient authority of all matters of faith and practice. So this morning, I'm not going to defend the inerrancy of the word. Rather, I want to explain and defend the dynamic quality of this God-breathed word. Or to put it another way, I'm going to assume this morning that you believe that God spoke this word. What I'm defending this morning is the idea that God still speaks through this word, in this word, and only in and through this word. It is this dynamic, ongoing, continuous speaking of the Spirit through this once for all inspired revelation that the author is talking about when he says that the word of God is living. 
I want to show you what I mean by the way that he uses this living word. In the immediately preceding passage, which runs from Hebrews 3.7 all the way to Hebrews 4.11, the author is expounding a, an Old Testament text of Scripture. He's expounding Psalm 95, which he quotes at length at the beginning of this passage, Hebrews 3.7 through 11. Now, Psalm 95 was written 3,000 years ago by David. It refers to events that took place 3,500 years ago after the exodus from Egypt. And he uses the example of the wilderness generation of Israelites as a warning to David's generation of Israelites. I want you to look with me at Hebrews 4.7. Get it in front of you. Hebrews 4.7. He, that is God again fixes a a day, calling it today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay? You see what he does there. He is establishing the divine inspiration of Psalm 95. God spoke through David to Israel. Do you see that? He's warning Israel not to harden their hearts and to turn away in unbelief. God spoke, Psalm 95, through David to Israel in and around 1000 B.C. But now jump back to the previous chapter, Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Before quoting Psalm 95, the author gives this little introduction. He says, Therefore... Just as the Holy Spirit says, not said, past tense, says, present tense. You see it? The the Holy Spirit is speaking to the author's congregation by means of the word that the Holy Spirit spoke 1,000 years prior in order to warn Israel against falling away as the wilderness generation had. So the Holy Spirit spoke through David in in and around 1000 BC and he warned David's generation not to turn away in unbelief. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to these Hebrew Christians around 64 AD using the words that he had previously spoken 1000 years prior through David. He spoke, and he is speaking. We see the same principle at work in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there with me. Hebrews 10, 15. I love the rustle of pages. Get them turning. Hebrews 10, 15. Authors... preparing to quote from another passage of Scripture, this time Jeremiah 31. And he introduces it in a very similar way. He says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies. To who? To us. He is testifying to us. For after saying, and then he quotes from Jeremiah 31, where God had promised the new covenant. Same thing. God spoke through Jeremiah in the 6th century B.C., about a new covenant. And, and, and God 
is speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking through those same words 600 years later to this Jewish congregation using the same word. How can he do that? How can the Holy Spirit have spoken and be speaking? It's because the word of God is living. It's dynamic. The Holy Spirit continuously speaks to the people of God, not not in your private closet in your in your private meditations but in and through the word it is living it is dynamic the holy spirit speaks to his people through the once for all spoken word but it gets even better now turn over to hebrews 13:7 hebrews 13:7 We're seeing how he's using this living and active word. He tells his congregation, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. He's referring to people who had come to them at some time prior and had preached the gospel to them. And he calls their preaching the word of God. Same phrase that he uses back in Hebrews 4.12 that he just said was living and active. What did they preach to you? They preached the word of God. And if their preaching was anything like the examples of apostolic preaching that we have in the book of Acts, we can know the substance, the content of what they preached. They took Old Testament texts and they interpreted and applied them in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the present preaching of Christ from ancient texts of Scripture is also, in the author's mind, in a sense, the Word of God. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack what would require a lot of time to unpack all of the edges, all of the facets of this idea. But I do want this to be clear. The Holy Spirit spoke through David, around 1000 B.C. to warn his generation, to warn the people of God in his generation against unbelief. And the Holy Spirit was speaking presently through those previously written words to the author of Hebrews' generation around 64 A.D. And the Holy Spirit will speak, I pray, Next week, when I preach that same passage to you, he spoke, he was speaking, and he will speak in and through this. It's living. It's dynamic. This is why we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God because this word is alive. It is life. It's also an effectual word. It is active and it is powerful. Literally, the word there is the word from which we get energetic. It's an energetic word. When the Holy Spirit speaks through the word, he accomplishes something. It's not not just the transfer of information. He's transforming. The theme verse for Gideon's International says as much, doesn't it? Isaiah 55, 11. 
so will my word be, which proceeds forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. It does what I send it out to do. In other words, the word of God is not full of frustrated energy, futile activity. It is a powerful and effectual word, accomplishing all God's sovereign purpose. And what is that purpose? I want to take you on just a brief survey of some text to provide us with a glimpse of what God's word does with this effectual activity. Number one, God sovereignly raises those who are spiritually dead and brings them to new life, to new birth through his living and active word. So says 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but of seed which is imperishable. That is the living and abiding word. How were you born again? By the living and abiding word. Or James 1.18 In the exercise of his own will, God brought us forth, gave us birth. How? By the word of truth. He gives birth. People are born again when they open up these testaments, when they open up these Bibles, when they sit underneath this word preached. God comes and life happens. And those who were dead live. Faith is created and nourished and strengthened through this energetic word. Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How does faith come? It comes when you get in contact with this living and active and effectual and dynamic word. God preserves his people in faith through his living and active word. Paul told Timothy that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.15 The wisdom that we need to make the dangerous journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city to borrow from Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Where does that wisdom come from? Well, you see it because Christian makes his journey with a book in his hand. It comes through the living and active, dynamic and effectual word. Closely related to that, God warns his people actively and effectually against the danger of falling away by means of his word. That's why we are preaching our way through Hebrew. That's what Hebrews is. All of the warnings against falling away are God's means of keeping you in faith. Saying, don't quit. Don't give up. A struggling, weak believer comes in contact with this word and reads it or hears it as this pastor preaches to him. And that word creates within him a godly fear. Strengthens his resolve further convinces him of the truth, warns him against turning away, reminds him of the truth of the gospel, and encourages him not to give up, but rather to fix his eyes on Jesus and finish the race marked before him. Finally, what about 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17? All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, effectual. For what? 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We grow in knowledge, we grow in holiness, we grow in righteousness, we grow in wisdom and sanctification by means of this living and active, dynamic and effectual word, which is why Jesus prayed for us on our behalf. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Speaking of sanctification, there's one last characteristic I want to give you. This is a penetrating word. In Ephesians 6.17, Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And the author of Hebrews is here telling us that the Spirit's sword is not dull. It is razor sharp. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the divide of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature which is hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is a sword, which in the hands of the spirit of God is easily able to slice through the most rigid defenses to pierce the thickest armor to overcome the most virulent opposition and able to lay bare our very souls before the eyes of him who is both our judge and savior it can cut you like a like a hot knife through butter stiffen up your neck come before the word it'll get you It's gotten millions in its history, and it'll get millions more before it's done. It's the same idea that the Lord revealed through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, 29, when he said, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that shatters a rock? So let me ask you a question. Have you been shattered by the word of God? As the Spirit of God laid hold of the the hammer of the Word and, and smashed your defenses of pride and stubbornness? Have you been eviscerated by the double edged sword of the Word? As the Spirit picked up his sword and and sliced through your armor of hypocrisy in order that you may know yourself truly for the very first time and in your desperation cry out for deliverance through Christ? Have you been confronted with a living and active word in your experience? Because how blessed is the man, how blessed is the woman, how blessed is the child whom the Lord so smashes and so pierces and so conquers by his grace, by his spirit, through this living and active word. It is a good thing to be smashed by the word and to be pierced by the word and to be overcome by the power of his word. Why? Because he doesn't shatter merely to shatter. He shatters in order that he may bind up again. And he doesn't pierce merely to pierce. He pierces in order that he may heal. 
He destroys in order that he may make new. I want your eyes just to fall down the page a little bit. Hebrews 4.12, let it fall down to Hebrews 4.16. And you will find that the same God who cuts you with his word and lays bare your soul is the very same one who in a matter of four verses is calling to you from his throne of grace. And is inviting you to come and to receive mercy and to find help in your time of need. It's a good thing to be destroyed by this word. Now. Today. There will come a day when it's a bad thing. But today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And with great restraint, I'm going to withhold my sermon for next week. Beloved, this is the way that we must treasure the word of God. This, this is why man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because this word is bread. It is life. It is nourishment for the soul. And we must feed upon it as if our life depended on it. Because it does. We must get this living and active word into the hands of all peoples in all nations because their life depends upon it. Tomorrow morning when you open up your Bible, I invite you in light of this message not to see dead words from long ago dried ink on a worn out page. Don't see that. See life. See energy. See penetrating power. See bread and ask the Spirit to nourish you. See a sword and invite the Spirit to cut you and then to heal you. See a hammer and ask the Spirit to break you and then to make you whole again. And when you come next Sunday to hear the word preached, don't come expecting a lecture. Just the transfer of information. I invite you to come expecting to hear the voice of the Spirit addressing you in power through the living and active Word when He says to you as He has been saying for 3,000 years, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You receive that as a word from the Spirit to you. Today. It's a powerful word, and we need to treasure it. But God is so good and so gracious to us that he not only gives us a written word, he gives us a visible word. He not only allows us to hear his gospel, he allows us to taste and to see his gospel. He not only speaks a promise, he gives us a tangible, visible sign of his new covenant promise This, First Baptist Nixa, this struggling believer is my body, which I gave for you. This is my blood, which I poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Visible words of promise. Bread, wine, forgiveness, cleansing, atonement, grace. And so I invite you to the Lord's table 
to the table of grace to treasure not only the written word, but the visible word, which is living and active as well. So that you would not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 